Hi, everybody. This is Jerry Salaya from Tricio, and I'm joined by John Cavalier, our chief economist, to talk about inflation. Basically, is it starting to turn? John? Yeah, it's a key question. It's uh, really the critical question driving the markets at the moment, I think. Um, there was much optimism uh, a week or two ago when it looked like U.S. price inflation was peaking. And I think there's a lot of evidence that it is. We can see now that goods price inflation has definitely slowed down. Services, though, is still holding up, but that's allowing the overall um, price index to, to slow down. But if you look at the headline um, PCE, the Personal Consumer Expenditure Deflator in the US, that's the, the index that the Fed uh, looks at. It looks more at the core, but it looks at PCE rather than CPI. Um, that's been growing at 6.2% uh, recently, the headline figure, uh, and we saw a peak of 7% in June. So we're, we're clearly down there. The core PCE, as I say, is the one they look at more, and that's running about 5% uh, in the last six months. Um, and that's after a high of 5.4%. So the Fed's going to be looking at this and saying, well, underlying inflation is around 5%, um, and it seems to, seems to have peaked. But the question then is, how much is it going to come down? And if we look at the most recent numbers, just the last three months or so, again, it does seem to be coming down because we're looking at something in the 4% range there uh, for the last three months annualized. So those numbers so on the big scale are quite positive. And then if you look at the components, back in uh, 2021, the Fed was talking about transitory elements and saying that those would end. And it was much too optimistic, of course, at that time. But there was some truth in the idea that some of this inflation is, is transitory. For example, the price of used cars just soared in 2021, and it peaked in February this year, and is actually coming down. Um, so even if it just stays where it is, that that element of the, of the uh, price index will go to zero. But actually, used car prices will probably come down some more. So as we go into next year, we're going to be seeing a, a negative inflation effect push from that. And it's only 4% of the index, uh, but still, I mean, that makes a difference. And then airline fares, another element that uh, really went up uh, once people started traveling again, and hotels. Um, even things like clothing, which is quite a big element of the index, uh, crashed in 2020 and then soared. But normally clothing prices are pretty stable. So probably from here, we're going to be fairly stable. So quite a lot of these elements uh, are basically going to be either flat or negative, pulling down the price index over the next year. So that's all, all quite positive, I would say. Okay, John, that's good. And, and thank you for that. But if the Fed looks at the PC and all the economists are saying, yep, the Fed looks at the PC and that would need, that's what needs to come down, you know, the core PC. Why does the market focus so much on CPI? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 partly because we get that number first uh, in terms of the month. It's I guess it's also more exciting because it's higher. Um, CPI uh, has more housing in it. And at the moment, housing is quite a strong element in inflation. So I guess I guess that's sort of the reason. It, it, it's 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 mainly I think because we get the data earlier than we get the PCE numbers. And there is one other factor for geeks like me, which is that you get more detail on the CPI. So you okay, can look that, into that's the, good to know. <laughs> no, I was just astonished because the recent reaction to the softer than expected, you know, put quote marks around that CPI figure gave the stock market and bond market a real move um, yes. a couple of weeks ago. I mean, okay. one one thing I would say, I mean, one thing I would say is that. While it certainly looks as though these things are coming down, we can't be 100% sure. Um, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, and it is possible that uh, this thing could, could suddenly come in with a higher figure one month. 
right. can't rule out what we had a couple of times over the summer, which was a, a figure that surprised on the upside. I guess one or two months of economic data is not really a trend, is it? That's that's right. That's very true. Does PPI matter? And the reason I'm saying this is because PPI did peak earlier in the year and has come off, right? And this right. week we saw a, a muted reaction to the PPI reading that was soft, but it was still a reaction. And it's one of those things where as, as a strategist, you always look at PPI and it's like a third cousin. You know? Yes, you talk to them at the wedding and the funeral, but you don't really hang out with them, right? Right. Yeah, I think um, PPI is a, a sort of leading indicator of goods prices. Um, so I think that's why people do pay some attention. And as you say, it peaked earlier in the year, and that, that also is pointing to uh, further slowdown in, in goods prices. It, the other thing that's in there quite a bit is just the price of commodities. Um, so again, which, which obviously does feed into the general inflation rate, but we know what's happening to commodities. Uh, even faster than we know what's happened to the PPI. So, so I think while it, it is used as a sort of secondary indicator, as, as you indicate, maybe a tertiary one, uh, it's it's not as interesting as what's actually happening to consumer prices. Okay, so thank you for that again, John. If I'm trading bonds or equities and I'm looking out, do we still expect inflation, whichever measure, to come off the boil in 2023 in the US? Yeah, I do. Um, as I say, I think we're running in the, if you, if you look at the sort of underlying inflation rate, this core rate, um, just look at it in the last three months, it's 4.2%. Last six months, it's 4.8%. So it appears to be coming down. The, there's also some measures published by the Federal Reserve for individual banks. So Dallas, the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, um, publishes what they call a trimmed mean, where they take out the sort of extreme elements up or down. Just look at the, the middle part of the distribution of components. And that's that was 4.7%. Um, Cleveland Fed publishes another one on a slightly different basis, and they've got 4.4%. So, so we seem to have come down into the sort of middle 4% range. And I think we will come down into the 3 point something range next year as those transitory elements uh, pull out. This is still a long way from the 2% target though. And I think that's important to emphasize because you know, we've been hearing about the headline rates of eight and 10% in Europe. Uh, and if you start to see three point something in the US, people might think, oh, well, the inflation thing's all over. But I think from the point of view of the Federal Reserve, that's not true. They, they, they really want 2%. Um, so, if so you're saying Europe, don't, don't anticipate them pausing or even cutting rates if inflation moves in the right direction, you're saying actually wait for the 2%. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say wait all the way until we see 2%. I think then then what has to be factored in is what's happening to the economy itself. So if next year the economy is still growing, and still growing quite well, um, and we've got inflation of say 2.9%, they're not gonna be saying, okay, we're in the 2% range, that's, that's fine. They're gonna be saying inflation is still too high, the economy is still overheating, uh, we still want to put pressure, downward pressure to slow it down. So I think they're, they're looking at really what's happening in the economy and also, of course, wages. Wage growth is, is critical. So if wage growth slows down, they'll be very encouraged by that. There's some signs that it is coming off the boil a little bit, um, but it's still way too high. Uh, I think recently, recently wage growth has been running in the sort of five, five and a half percent range, depending on which index you use. Um, but it was around 3% pre-COVID. So there's about a two percentage point excess growth in wages at the moment, um, which they want to eliminate. And uh, you know, typically that, that only happens with rising unemployment. 
which we're not right. really so, seeing yet. So basically, the, I mean, that, that could give you the nightmare scenario of wage growth coming off the boil, let's say, from 5.5, 5%, 6%, whatever, coming drifting down towards, let's say, 3%, 4%, like you're suggesting, taking some of the excess off, maybe even down to 2%, right? But then employment rate may remain below 4%. Which one is going to trump the other as far as the Fed's concerned, in your view? Well, if wages come down without unemployment rising, they'll be absolutely delighted. I mean, that, so that, that would be a really ultimate, good thing. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's the ultimate soft landing. Uh, and there has been talk that that's possible just by cooling down an overheated market. So suddenly there's, there's could be fewer vacancies, for example, because at the moment vacancies are far higher than the number of people unemployed. So if vacancies came off and wage growth came down to, to three, three and a half percent, um, on its own, without unemployment rising, I think everybody would be delighted. Um, I personally think that's unlikely. There are, there are very unlikely, I should say. There are some economists who think it's possible. It, it may be you could get a combination of that and some rise in unemployment, so only a very mild recession. In unemployment, I think, around 3.6, 3.7% latest. It, it's possible that it might only need to rise to a bit over four, four and a quarter, maybe four and a half rather than my expectation, which is that we'll actually have to rise to five, five and a half percent, which would be really a sort of still fairly mild recession, but nevertheless yeah, a recession. But, I mean, putting it into context, the unemployment rate at four to five percent used to be considered tight back in the 80s, right? Yeah, um, that's true. I mean, I think since uh, in the 2010s, we got down to below four percent and obviously we're there now. Um, the Fed likes it there and government likes it there because also when you get the unemployment rate down, you tend to get minorities in work more. more. Uh, so it's all good news, obviously, to have low unemployment. Um, and the evidence that we saw in the late 2010s was that you can run the economy at under 4% without inflation accelerating. The problem now is inflation is too high, so you need it to decelerate. Um, but I think they would, they would take the view that um, if we can get inflation back near 2%, they don't have any problem with unemployment coming down below 4% later in the decade. Also, I mean, to some extent, the Fed has always historically been a lot more pragmatic than many people expect, right? So surely they're going to be looking around at oil prices, let's say, come off below $80 a barrel with WTI or Brent and drift towards $65 a barrel early next year, as an example, on the back of you know peace breaking out in Ukraine or something happening, right? Then the Fed's mm-hmm. going to note that basically this is an input that as energy energy prices have driven so many other things as, uh, in 2022, that they'll probably put a little tick there saying, okay, this is moving in the right, dire- right direction as well, correct? Yes and no. I mean, I think, um, I mean, you're talking really about headline inflation largely there. Um, yes. So, and it's certainly true headline inflation could go well down. Uh, down to two or even below, um, particularly if oil prices fall and if natural gas prices fall. There's a complication though, which is that if that happens, if the sort of headline inflation rate, which after all is what people actually pay, if that goes negative, then suddenly real wages, real incomes rise. And if real incomes rise, people spend more and that actually stimulates the economy. So the the difficulty they've got then is that uh, this attempt to to slow things down or to put downward pressure on on nominal wages, suddenly they're in trouble because people are spending more money and the economy is accelerating more. So So, so, so you're saying that good news would be bad news for the Fed? 
because yeah i mean the, the, the only, <laughs> in a sense yes i mean what what the, the good news that they're waiting for is for wage growth to slow down okay that is the key and i think in fact going forward it's worth emphasizing that wages are going to matter more than prices as we go forward so i think okay. the uh, that's actually gonna... a really good point thank you john mm -hmm. yeah I already, I need, I need... focus on that. well i need you to roll your sleeves up here john you ready <laughs> i'll try what's going on in the uk Okay, so um, to just recap, eleven point one percent CPI. Yeah, RPIX above thirteen percent. Yep. Um, I mean that is largely driven. Well, a big part of that is driven by natural gas prices and electricity prices. So if you look at the core inflation rate, it's six and a half percent, which is a little bit higher than the US, but not very much. And and I should emphasise too that. Well, we call these things core inflation, uh, the idea being to exclude food and energy. We don't really fully exclude energy because energy is used by every business. And if they're paying more for their electricity or their heating, they're going to tend to raise prices. So core inflation in the UK is six and a half percent. As you say, it's a lot lower than headline. And that difference is really the energy prices. So the UK, in many ways, uh, in other ways, I should say, looks very similar to the US. It's Unemployment is very low, just as in the US. We're just That's right. Yep. We're roughly 70-year uh, low. Um, and wage growth has, has, has picked up. Average earnings are rising about 6%. Um, and everyone is on strike asking for 10 or 15%, right? Yeah. I mean, the, most of the unions uh, these days are public sector unions. So the public sector is really pushing. Uh, in the private sector, you're not seeing it quite so much, but we know that um, private sector is is settling for a higher wage settlement, although lower than inflation. So yeah, I mean, one of the concerns in the UK is that wage growth may not subside as easily as in the US. You know, the US is this big competitive economy, um, whereas the UK is much smaller, not so competitive, especially after leaving the EU. Uh, so the danger is that uh, you get in more of a wage price spiral in the UK. And will Chancellor Hans autumn budget do anything to squish inflation lower? Uh, I think it's fairly neutral in the near term. Uh, most of the austerity actually happens next year and indeed in later years. Um, it's getting us, obviously that budget gets us back on track after the debacle of the quasi-quoting budget. But um, and what is happening in the UK is that it already is in recession and that's different to the US. Right. You know, the US had a the US had a weak first half of the year, but um, it looks like the second half is actually going to be quite strong. Um, yeah, it does seem like you know a lot of the stuff is bouncing back in the U.S., whereas over here yeah. everybody keeps painting everything as doom and gloom. Yeah, so, I mean the the mood in in the U.K. is much more gloomy than in the U.S. I see that because I you know travel to both countries quite a lot uh, from Canada, and you know in the U.K. everybody is deeply pessimistic, not just about the economy in general, but about their personal finances. And the, the, what's happening in the U.K. is is a real squeeze on incomes, uh, real incomes, um, and in the autumn statement that was clear the the uh, level of income per capita according to the numbers produced by the office for budget responsibility is going to be uh, down eight percent next year compared with 2019 so people eight percent worse off uh, as a result of uh, that's a big number it's a big number we've in fact we've never we haven't seen anything like this um, probably for over 100 years such a long-term squeeze on real incomes so i guess you know we don't delve into politics too much but 
I would expect that the Tories are really hoping that it's going to be a short, shallow recession because we have an election coming up in a couple of years, don't we? Yeah, I mean, the politics are obviously, you know, difficult for the Conservatives. Um, I'm not sure how much hope they really have of, of winning. <laughs> um, the problem is that I'm not sure how much uh, excitement the Labour Party could have about taking over. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's going to be a real tough time, potentially. I mean, it, you know, we, yeah. we could actually skate out of this. Like I said, all you need is energy prices to come off the boil real fast. And then next thing you know, you're going to have the problem exactly what we're talking about in America, where public sector unions get their, let's say, 5 to 15% pay rise through over the next six months, let's say. And all of a sudden, if inflation falls a lot, exactly what you were saying, they're going to be on a real basis uh, much better off, right? Yeah, I mean, that's possible. What's going to matter, particularly in the UK, is for the natural gas price to go back to something like what it was before. But for that to happen, you actually need Russian gas to start flowing. And even if there is a, a peace settlement, that's not guaranteed. And I think it most likely would happen if there was a peace, a, a peace settlement. But Yeah, I think the, the markets would forward this quite a lot, wouldn't they? I mean, the peace dividend would be reflected in the price well, well before the reality of what you can actually deliver. You know what I mean? True, true. Um, but I, you know, there's some question mark as to as to what kind of piece we might have, whether it would whether it would really get gas flowing again. I think it probably would because both sides would have a, a big uh, desire to do that. Yes, there's no guarantee. So the U.S. We're, we're holding steady on the view that you know inflation will come under control, and the Fed's looking for wage pressures to ease. Great. In the U.K., we're hoping for the same. I, I, I you know. But there is added risk in the UK, isn't there? On, on the currency side and politics side. And I guess, you know, a hard recession, if, if that is what happens, a hard landing, that would help the Bank of England, right? Yeah, I mean, the UK is further along with uh, slowing down the economy um, and getting starting to get unemployment up and getting wage growth down. Um, as I say, it looks as though the US will be growing in the fourth quarter. Um, I, I still think there'll be a recession. A lot of the data points to that, but it's not guaranteed. But it's that means it's running at least six months behind the UK. So UK, uh, the Bank of England will raise rates further. My guess is maybe another one percentage point, something like that. The, U, the US and the Fed will raise rates further as well, potentially quite a bit further if the economy stays resilient. Now, one of the questions in the US is why is it so resilient? Part of the answer is uh, the savings that people accumulated during the COVID period. Uh, there's also kind of pent-up demand still for things like cars and, and capital goods. So that may be driving it. But the Fed really wants to slow the US economy. And so it's, it's going to have to raise rates further, whereas Bank of England doesn't have to raise rates so much because the economy is already slowing down. So the Bank of England actually may have a better time of it in some ways. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, uh, I think there's... It's clearer that they're on the path they want to be on, whereas with the US, it's still not clear that the US economy is definitely slowing. John, thank, I mean, basically what you're trying to say is that things are still in play and we're watching economic data closely. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, story of my life, really. <laughs> Should we even mention Europe? We never mentioned Europe. Well, the story in Europe is a little bit similar to the UK, I would say. There's, again, a big difference between core inflation, which is about 5%, but still rising. Headline inflation is, I think, 10.6% was the latest number. Not very different to the UK, but still rising if you just look at the sort of monthly progression. So that the big difference between core and headline, again, is, is energy. 
Um, right. Europe also has low unemployment compared to its history, um, yep. but it's somewhere in between the UK and the US in terms of the slowdown. It is it is slowing down. I think some of the countries like Germany, probably Italy, may already be in recession. A bit more resilience for some of the others, but it, it'll. It, I think it will be going into recession either in the third quarter or the fourth quarter. We'll see see how it works out. So it's kind of in between the the UK and, and uh, I, the I US. think Europe has been hit by so many headwinds since COVID that it's one of those things where any signs of you know green shoots are, are leapt upon by uh, people who you know just want to see European companies, European shares, and these hold up and do better, right? And in terms right. of the bond market, I, I think the reaction has been so swift from Boone's being so negative to Boone's being two percent in terms of the ten-year that it's it's one of those things where there's been so many changes over the last eighteen months that people's heads are probably swiveling a bit, if you know what I mean. I mean, there's still there's still concerns around Europe, the situation in Italy, the government there. Yeah, and also be... the, the, the Russian-Ukraine war is effectively at their border, right? Virtually, yes. And the German, you know, desire or German reliance on Russian gas and energy. You just throw all this into the pot and you give it a mix and you go, wow, inflation is really not the biggest concern as far as, as most people are looking around, right? Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, um, the... I mean, like in the US, you have people, you know, I'm not, not going on strikes or rioting, but when the gasoline price goes up in California, it makes headlines. That's what they're moaning about, right? My, the price of filling up my car went up. Ah. Well, I guess it's it's pretty very clear to people in Europe that, that the inflation is largely due to the Ukraine shock. Right. Uh, and they, they know that's out of their control and may even be part of their fault that it's, it's come to this situation, um, you know, relying on Russian gas. So yeah, it's one of those things that some people pointed, but it's, they've been putting it out for so many years now that, uh, you know, they're basically tying themselves into Russia. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay, so in Europe, the ECB is going to, I think they said they were going to hike rates at a slower rate, but start to do some quantitative tightening. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, I think all the central banks are probably going to go to a slower rate um, soon. I mean, the Fed will, I think, ECB. Maybe the Bank of England still has another big rise to do. But more likely, they'll all be going at a slower rate. And that's because, as you say, they're being pragmatic now. They know rates have come up. They're now well above their target inflation rate. So they can afford to go more slowly. Okay, in the last few minutes here, John, the big unknown I'm going to ask you, is it still unknown? What is the effect of quantitative tightening in the US? I think the, the Bank of England is starting to do it now as well. And the ECB is talking about you know accelerating that. Do we actually know how this is going to work? I mean, I know last time we spoke, we said we had pretty good guesses at it. Have, have things improved? We really don't know anymore. Um, the, the, one would expect that uh, you're basically selling bonds into the market, but that you know, raises bond yields, maybe steepens the yield curve compared to what it otherwise would be. But we don't really know because the amounts being done are relatively small compared to the total amount that the, that the government, that the central bank owns. Of course, well, what you we said was so critical, John, because in the States, they're letting the short end run off, right? Whereas in the UK, I think they're just selling. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yes. You might expect that would mean that the yield curve would steepen more in the UK, but I think that really people don't don't know. Um, there's another argument which says that, that they've already said what they're going to do, so that's in the market. So the fact that they're doing <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't make any difference. So people are already anticipating it. You would expect a little bit of that. 
I mean, my view has always been that if quantitative easing was such a good idea in terms of stimulating the, the, the economy, then surely quantitative tightening is going to have the opposite effect, right? It, I agree you know, with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's one more thing we need to keep an eye on, even though what actually happens is a bit opaque at the moment. Yeah. Um, and especially in the US, with the long rate goes up, that, that affects things possibly more because the mortgages, mortgage rate is, is keyed off that. That's true. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah, and we matter less in, in Europe where mortgages tend to be more linked to short-term rates. And same in the UK, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so one more thing to worry about and to watch. John, once again, I really appreciate your time with us. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you very much. All right. I'm sure we'll talk about inflation at least one more time in 2023. I fear you're right. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, John. And thank you for listening to Tricio's uh, latest uh, podcast on inflation.